As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. Hello and welcome to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell, joining you this week, and alongside me, the Michael Jolly to my Mikel Jolly. <laughs> it, it's George Ellick, that's one for the real purists. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> that's one for the deadline day connoisseurs, the savants among you. Uh, Barrow's new signing, Mikel Jolly, joining new manager Michael Jolly, and... What laughs we had about that. Um, George, we're going to be talking deadline day transfers later. I mean, what are the chances that you could sign someone with practically the same name as you? Well, I mean, given that I, I don't currently uh, run a football club pretty slim, I guess the closer we'll be getting somebody on the podcast. So maybe getting Michael Hellick on to the Totally Football Show, <laughs> Football League Show Extra Time would be that. A couple of other options. I've got Akos Elik, who plays for Molvidi, who, uh, who is a Hungarian international. I once backed him to score first in a, in a Euros game, a 50-1, to one, and he hit the post. <laughs> so here would be my, my other option, possibly, definitely with Paddy Power, I should say, as well. But Ali, unlike you, I've never actually been mistaken for a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> with exactly the same name as me. Yeah, Scottish goalkeeper Ali Maxwell of uh, <laughs> or Ali Maxwell as he probably would would say of uh, of Motherwell in the 80s, Rangers, Dundee in the 90s. I did have a bit of a mix up once as uh, as many anyone who's a freelancer listening will know that uh, you spend a lot of your time chasing up invoices uh, and on one such occasion with a large media organization I was doing just that chasing up an invoice I said hi there uh, any chance of getting this paid and uh, I got a reply saying are you not the Ali Maxwell whose address is in Strathaven <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. Sorry. Sorry, you've got that wrong. So, I mean, the, the second best Ali Maxwell, certainly none of the reflexes, but uh, I can talk about the EFL. And, and that's what we're going to do today. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've got the weekend previews coming up towards the end of the show uh, in association with Paddy Power. We're going to be talking about Bournemouth, where it's mm. Jace out and Jonathan. <laughs> but first, it is time for the midweek recap. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Yes, we had some midweek action across the EFL. By no means a full slate, but plenty to tell you about. George, why don't we kick off with a Team of the Week award in the Championship? Yeah, I'm conscious in the last couple of weeks that when doing this, I sometimes just assume knowledge on behalf of the listener. So I'm going to say first and foremost, I think sometimes I don't even say what the score's been. So in the championship, <laughs> my team of the midweek is Rotherham. Rotherham beat Derby 3-0. So those are the headlines for you there. And it was another magic Miller's performance. Under Paul Warren, they are trending very much in the right direction. They've won three uh, sorry, three of their last five games. And the thing that stuns me about this run of form for Rotherham and again last night is their ease at which they are scoring against the best defences in the league. If you look at their last four games, they've played Borough, Stoke, Swansea and Derby. Now, Borough and Stoke, we know, under Neil Warnock and Michael O'Neill are two of the most pragmatic sides in the division, two of the best defences in the division. And they put three past both of them, winning 3-0 and drawing 3 all. And then they come up against Derby and Derby County under Wayne Rooney have been pretty much the best defensive team in the championship. They've conceded the fewer shots on target, all the numbers stack up what he's doing there, a, a team who love to win 1-0. And even though Rotherham weren't necessarily dominant in the early parts of the game, I mean, Derby probably had the better chances up until about the 75th minute, Lee Gregory especially missing an absolute sitter ahead of chance um, just, uh, and just in, you know around the six-yard box, which he headed miles wide on debut. The way that they eased clear was so impressive. The mm. first goal was a, a fairly scrappy one, a, a long ball in from a set piece, prodded home by Michael Ahikwe. But there's two devastating counterattacks after that. And this is something that no team has really done to Derby under Wayne Rooney. Paul Warren deserves so much credit for what he's doing. I think some people... You know, we often focus towards the top end of the table when we talk about managerial performances. But I personally believe if Rotherham managed to finish 20th or 21st, then Paul Warren should be in with a massive shout of being manager of the year in the championship or maybe in the whole EFL. Such is the task that he faced. This win is big as well because it brings them a little bit closer to safety. They're now two points off Birmingham, who are, two, who are one place ahead of them, and two points off the team they beat in Derby. So credit to Paul Warren, credit to Rotherham, a, a big, big 3-0 win for them. And I fancy them to stay up. You conjured a lovely image there of various championship managers checking their rear view mirror and there's Paul mm. Warren bearing down on them. I, I <laughs> wanted to, to just uh, actually share something that we were sent as a, a DM the other day about Paul Warren and about Rotherham because I, I, I really think it's the sort of thing that we should be talking about uh, and should be highlighting. Rotherham hosted a Zoom call last week open to any fans uh, and one of the themes that was spoken on the call was mental health, both to do with lockdown but in general. And Paul Paul Warner and one of his players, Kieran Sadlier, were the guests and they, they stayed on the call for over an hour. Paul Warren, as we know, such a, a warm 
talker and such a you know someone that's so happy to to share intimate details about his own life and to to bear his emotions and you know uh, the, the person that messaged us to tell us about this was saying it was clearly such a an amazing thing for him to do Paul Warren was going around complete open forum letting fans share their mental health experiences with him and offering support and advice and and everything in between and uh, you know they, they spoke about all sorts of very sensitive topics with all the care and sincerity in the world and you know we like to watch and analyze the football and we certainly think that this Rotherham side under Paul Warren is is an impressive side and could well stay up but there is a lot more to uh, football being a football fan and, and what clubs and, and managers can do for their community and uh, as always big ups to Paul Warren for simply being an absolute legend <laughs> the player of the week in the championship Tarek Fossu. Mawson with a mistake and Tarek Fossu and he'll be tapped home by Sergi Canos. It's Fossu again. Oh, and Glorious goal! Fossu. And here's Goros with a chance now. Oh. And will he he'll put it away on the follow-up? who plays for Brentford, formerly of Oxford, of course, but very much a Bees player now and thriving um, really in his best stretch, you'd say, uh, in a Brentford shirt. He was, uh, for me, the main reason that they got past Bristol City on Wednesday night. He broke in behind to provide the cross, which led to Kanos's goal to equalise after they went 1-0 down early, provided a magnificent pinpoint early cross for Ivan Tony's 20th of the season to put them ahead early in the second half. And then it was his clever move inside, uh, ev evading three defenders and a little disguised reverse pass for Godos, which led to Godos's shot coming off the bar back to him uh, and slotted in for the third goal. So technically one assist for Fosu, but a huge hand in all three goals. This is a Brentford side now, 19 unbeaten, with six wins in their last seven games. Three of the last six, they've come from behind to win. So because of that form, there's a lot of people getting a little bit concerned uh, around them uh, about their form and, and where they might be moving towards. George, just uh, on Fosu, because it's the first time we've Danes to give him an award like this. Uh, obviously a former yellow, former Oxford United player. Brentford signed him last January in a double swoop with uh, Shandon Baptiste. And we had a tweet actually from Adam asking whether you were surprised by Fossu's impact at Brentford. When he signed for Bees, it, it wasn't one of those where you went, yeah, he's absolutely going to crush it at the very top of the championship, right? Yeah, I think that's probably more, it says more about my thoughts on Brentford maybe than Tariq Fossu. I mean, Tariq Fossu at Oxford was a whirlwind of success in, in four or five months. He came in the summer and left for a decent fee in January, having scored loads of goals and, and been pretty integral to what was an okay start to the season. And he was fully deserving of his championship move. And I remember saying at the time that I was very surprised that Charlton had, had been so keen to release a guy who quite clearly had the talent to play a lot higher than League One. I am surprised to see how well he's doing. I'm surprised because when we think about the players who he is playing instead of, such as Brian Bomo, who is a player who I think the whole of the championship fan base after last season in the summer would consider to be a potentially elite footballer, a footballer who could go on to play at the very highest level. With Tariq Fosu, that isn't necessarily the case, but he's showing now how quickly he's improving. It's testament as well to the... Brentford's model and their recruitment system that they spotted a player in Fossu who 
you know, wasn't necessarily young enough to believe he could develop much further, but he's proving now that he can. And he's proving that he's a player who thrives being in a good functioning team because at Oxford he was quite clearly the key threat in an attacking sense and it seemed like he thrived being that kind of big fish in a small pond now he's an average sized or maybe even small fish growing very quickly in what's already quite a big pond so yeah I am surprised I still think that Shandon Baptiste in terms of of um, his ceiling probably has a higher one on an individual um, merit but Fosu's showing a versatility as well that we had no idea existed. I mean, he's played like left wing back at times this season, which I, I did not think would be the case. So credit to him. And, and I'm absolutely delighted to see that he's being such a success. It's time for a team of the week in League One, George. Was this as easy to select as Rotherham in the championship? Uh, probably not. No, I mean, we, we weren't really spoilt for choice here. So um I'm going to give it to Crew and Crew. I mean, it's worth pointing out here that in League One and League Two, we didn't have a full slate of fixtures, especially in League Two. We, there, there wasn't much choice at all. But I'm giving it to Crew here because they've had to go through a difficult time, and they went to a Shrewsbury side who are in very good form, and they beat them one nil. The, the reason that Crew have had a difficult time is because of the January transfer window. I mean, it, it could have gone worse. Let's start with that. Charlie Kirk was subject to some pretty strong interest from Charlton, who it seemed were, were pretty confident they were going to get the deal done. Uh, the deal didn't go through, but he was absent from this game, um, I think due to injury, at least that's the party line. So Charlie Kirk wasn't there. Harry Pickering was sold to Blackburn, but he's been loaned back to the end of the season. So he was at left back. And Perry and G, of course, has gone to Cardiff. So no and G here, no Kirk here. And up against the Shrews side, who were unbeaten in their last six. And last time we saw them on the weekend, totally wiped the floor with a promotion chasing Peterborough side. Now, this wasn't a dominant display from Crew. It was a smash and grab, effectively. Uh, Owen Dale, uh, another academy graduate, getting the goal in the 27th minute. And then after that, Shrewsbury created a whole host of opportunities and in part had their own poor finishing to blame, in part had Dave Richards to blame, who made some key saves in net for Crew. Um, Harry Chapman, again, was very lively for Shrewsbury and missed a decent chance early in the first half. But sometimes especially for a crew side who had such a decent start to the season and looked to have been a bit shaken, to be honest, by the instability at the club during January. To come here to an informed side, to get a really big three points, just basically to steady the ship a bit with Kirk soon to return to the team. It feels like a significant win for a side who maybe were looking like they might drop down table i just enjoyed pickering waltzing back into the side with the armband on clattering an opposition player after 10 minutes picking up a yellow laying down the gauntlet don't worry <laughs> lads i'm in it i'm in it at least for the next five months uh, he's not our player of the week in league one though that is a joint award uh, i'm just i'm just breaking boundaries each week doing things differently it's dion charles and colby bishop of accrington stanley joint award because between them they scored five goals which is i think what every fan wants from their strike partnership dion charles was the initial pick because he scored more goals than Bishop. A hat-trick for the youngster. What a live wire he is. Full of running and movement. Got good skill on the ball as well. I think sometimes for Charles, his decision-making lets him down, but he's only 18 months into his professional career, isn't he? Accrington picked him up for peanuts off Southport from non-league. And now in his second season in League One, he's on 11 goals from 19 games. Really impressive stuff. But he is afforded 
some space due to the unselfishness of Colby Bishop, his strike partner, who's probably more of a classic centre-forward who, who occupies defenders with physicality more so than, than constant movement like Charles, and that's why they complement each other so well. Now, I was going to pick Charles on his own for pure goal scoring, especially as one of Bishop's goals was a rebound from one of Dion Charles's shots. But then I heard what John Coleman said, and he doesn't agree. I want to go back to my old days now, but I can't ever remember a better centre-forward performance than Colby's done it. He was absolutely outstanding. Uh, and Dion wasn't far behind him. You know, um, it's very, very rare that I, one of my strikers gets three three goals and, and isn't man the match. And for me, Colby was. And who am I to argue with the gaffer himself? I also want to shout out Jerry Yates. Scored a smashing individual goal for Blackpool in midweek. Go and seek that one out if you haven't watched the highlights yet. Uh, a brilliant goal. So uh, a good day for strikers, you'd say, Tuesday night in League One. Uh, League Two, the most eye-catching performers in the whole division. I say that flippantly. There were only three games. George? Yeah, but I think Forest Green Rovers would deserve this accolade uh, in any normal game week as well because they went to... It's frustrating not being able to call Carlisle the league leaders because they basically are, <laughs> but they've just played so few games. But they went to the title favourites, Carlisle, and beat them 2-1 in their own backyard. And I got a, a tweet um, after the game saying, I think the beach ball's got a puncture, which is very, very harsh because they've been, <laughs> you know, they haven't played much football recently. And when they do, they've normally played pretty well. And this was no different, to be honest. I think we know now with, with Carlisle under Chris Beach that they are going to be good going forward. But as is often the case with many sides in the EFL, I'm thinking most recently about Brentford, about Leeds, teams who are praised for their attacking qualities it's often forgotten how good they are defensively and, and Carlisle had kept three clean sheets in their last four they're a side who restrict the opposition to very few chances if you look back to the weekend Carlisle went 1-0 up very early against the free scoring Exeter and Exeter didn't even have a shot on target so that just shows you how difficult it is to get past this Carlisle side and as such it probably isn't a surprise that Forest Green's two goals in this 2-1 win were a penalty and a direct free kick and sometimes some people, some Scrooges out there would say, well, this is a reason not to praise them. But I disagree. Not you've, me. Got to you've got to take your chances. You know, I, I am someone, if you're going to recite to me a list of top goal scorers and they've all got penalties, and that is to be taken with a pinch of salt. But when you get a chance against Chris, a Chris Beach side in Carlisle, you've got to take them. And that's exactly what Forrest Green did with, a, with an Aaron Collins penalty. Uh, Jimmy Torre got Carlisle back into the game for Odin Bailey. Uh, struck a lovely free kick from outside the area into the top left-hand corner. They've, Carlisle have only been beaten twice in December and January. Of course, they haven't played that many games, but it's still fairly significant. And both of these were against Forest Green, who've now done a fairly unlikely double. And when you consider that in terms of the whole promotion race in League Two, it's probably those two results that A, keep Carlisle within the pack and B, make Forest Green one of their key challenges. The league table now, Forest Green second on 45 points from 26 games. Carlisle have played three games fewer and have three fewer points. If I was to predict now who I think the top two in League Two will be in no particular order, it would probably be these two. So a really significant result and performance for Forest Green. Nice to get a little bonus prediction out of you there as well. What a morning it's been so far. The, the player of the midweek in League Two, Rory McArdle of Exeter City, their 1-0 win at Stevenage was not pretty and there wasn't a huge amount in it either. So the contribution of McArdle stands out for a number of reasons. Exeter needed a, a difference maker and it was their centre-back. He flicked a header in from a first-half set-piece to put them in front and then countless clearances 
blocks, defensive headers kept Stevenage at bay. McArdle's got an important leadership role as well uh, for Exeter, as much as his defensive capability and the, the experience on the pitch that he brings, because they've got five players, 21 and under, five academy graduates in the starting 11. And, you know, the, the knock on teams like that, especially when they haven't, um, especially when they aren't sort of fully formed, when a lot of them are making their first steps in senior football, is that they can be a bit soft and maybe a way to Stevenage on a cold Tuesday night. Um, they might concede soft goals, but not when McArdle's around. Matt Taylor said he was us tonight, scored a header from the set piece and defended the box with his life. But... In defending with his life, he also, George, risked his manhood. I'm going to let Matt Taylor pick up here. He's got a gash on his um, on his private parts, um, which is a really serious gash. So he's gone straight to hospital and hopefully they'll they'll help him out as best they possibly can. It, it's, it's a nasty injury. I've not seen it myself, but the reports are it's a, a scary one, to be honest with you. I think it was when he blocked the, the shot in this gun and the lad's studs just, just caught him in a, in a really nasty place. So hopefully he's OK, but you want all your bodies fit. Um, like I say, he just... He was us tonight, Rory. Scored the header in terms of the set piece and then defended the box with his life. So, Rory McArdle, kudos to you for being the winning goal scorer, the key defender and leader, and for that gruesome and painful injury. Wish you all the best. Hope to see you back on the pitch soon. You are our player of the week, which I'm sure will be uh, a great relief to you. <laughs> <laughs> More League One and Two chat later with our weekend previews. But next, there's been a cherry picker. It's the big one. Liverpool v Man City this weekend. And we're hoping it won't be like the other big six ball fest we've had so far this season. Like that not at all thrilling nil-nil between Arsenal and Man United last weekend. Or Liverpool nil, Man United nil at Anfield. Or when Spurs and Chelsea met and scored a total of no goals. Well, at Paddy Power, we're hoping for a bit more action this time round. So we're giving away a risk-free £5 bet builder on Liverpool v Man City. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bets only. Minimum two legs. Max cash refund five pounds. T's and C's apply. Eighteen plus. Be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. On now to the other business in the EFL this week, and we're going to come on to a couple of deadline day transfers that took our attention. But first, on Wednesday, the news broke that Jason Tindall had been sacked by Bournemouth and replaced, temporarily at least, by Jonathan Woodgate. The Cherries haven't won since the 2nd of January and the feeling around their style of play was getting very negative. But have they pushed the button too soon? Ali Maxwell, the English non-ex-goalkeeper. <laughs> well, Ali Maxwell thinks they've sacked him <laughs> way too soon. You can't sack a manager after one bad run. His first bad run as a manager, it's not fair. Uh, but Ali Maxwell thinks it's probably a fair decision from the board. And I will immediately follow that up by saying it also reflects a huge failure of the board. It is, for me, that the, the main takeaway here is not to stick the boot in to a, a rookie manager who inherited a, a team that had suffered relegation from the Premier League, something that we know has a big impact on the atmosphere, the, the, the very vibe around the place. But actually, it's a, it's a reflection on a, on a poor appointment and poor leadership uh, at the top of the club. Whoever is running their football operations, I think, should be, uh, should, should be feeling pretty bad for themselves. And of course, they don't get the punishment that managers get when they make uh, a bad decision, when they do a bad job. It was a huge risk to hire a manager that had never managed at senior level in the EFL or above before. There is an urgency that comes with Premier League relegation. The clock ticks 
financially because you get given these lovely parachute payments that give you a huge advantage over the rest of the league. You get them big time for one year, pretty big time for second year, a little bit for the third year, and then they're gone. And if you're a team with Bournemouth's natural organic revenue, which is very low for championship level, you know, to all intents and purposes, this is not a side that generates its own money, but has earned a lot of money by being in the Premier League. The clock is ticking for them. And to make the decision to go for what I'm sure they would have said was a a continuity approach, you know, they would have said, actually, you know, we had a bit of a shocker last season, but Eddie Howe's been there for so long. And, you know, we just want continuity. We want someone that, that, that knows all of the players. A huge, huge risk and one that has backfired hugely because I'm afraid when the going got a little bit tough for this Bournemouth team, the tough did not get going. Uh, <laughs> Jason Tindall's uh, side have been flattering to deceive for a while now, even before a run of four defeats leaves them in sixth place, nine points off the automatic spots. Uh, and so for, th- for that reason, for the, for the pure fact of the urgency that they feel about having to get back to the Premier League, this is the right decision because there must be managers out there with experience, with genuine, obvious proven quality that Bournemouth could hire and and would get this squad into a better spot. I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it, George? The squad. We've seen many a talented squad drop down from the Premier League and struggle, but on paper, this is a hell of a squad, right? And and it's easy to think they've got to be higher in the table than sixth. Yeah, um, that is exactly right. And and it's funny because you look at the squad, you look at the way that the Bournemouth looked to retain certain players the managerial appointment of Jason Tindall is so at odds with the strategy with the players. It didn't really make sense. And, and you read the, the statement from Bournemouth after they, they made the decision to sack Jason Tindall. And it makes it clear that the reason why he's been sacked is because the club still still want to achieve the goals that were, in their words, clearly set out at the beginning of the season. So they've hired a rookie manager and they've clearly told him, your job is to take us up. Those two things don't align, as you say. If you want to do the best you can in order to achieve those results and get up first time round, you don't look to to ask a guy. I mean, I think it's unfair to ask a guy to, to come in and do that job immediately. And it's interesting that he's being replaced temporarily by Jonathan Woodgate, who's lived his own version of this Jason Tyndall <laughs> career. You know, a, a borough he was brought in, having been an assistant, he was looked like it was a process-driven um, appointment where he was told to improve the playing style. It did not go well at all and he was out of a job halfway through the season. I, I think owners have to have the forthright to understand what they're doing when they're trying to develop a, a young coach and support them if, if they're going to do that. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's going to be interesting to see who they appoint next. I, I'm pretty sure that Jonathan Woodgate, unless... He has a revolutionary um, impact on this side, which wouldn't be a massive, you know, he wouldn't have to do much, you don't think, in order to get players of this quality performing at a high level. Um, But it's interesting that the names who are being linked, you know, we've seen it reported that John Terry is very much in the running. The Frank Lampard links are obvious. So it looks like we might see another rookie manager coming Mm. in um, with a fairly, you know, with with a bigger profile, let's say, than Jonathan Wood, sorry, not Jonathan Woodgate, than, um, than, than Jason Tindall. Whether or not he is given the time to succeed, you'd think he probably will be if, if it is one of those guys given the name. 
Well, it's been a while since John Terry's cherries were making headlines, so maybe that would be an interesting appointment. <laughs> we're going to wait and see who's been given the job permanently. Maybe it'll be covered on Monday's Totally Football League show or maybe by ourselves next Thursday. But speaking of people in new clubs on Monday, time to pick out some of the most noteworthy deadline day transfers from a busy day in the EFL. You were with us all through January asking for our realistic transfer suggestions like a striker at Birmingham and that was answered in the form of Sam Cosgrove, not Mm. one that we mentioned on the podcast sadly. (laughs) Uh, And for the security crew to be stepped up, that was less answered but at least you've still got Harry Pickering till the end of the season. Anyway, of the deals that were done, here's a few that we think may have been well worth it. George, none of those Millwall strikers got plucked away on deadline day. They can't all play. It's just, it's it's a waste of space. It's a waste of space. Although, I was annoyed about that. Could, I really thought that was one of my transfer suggestions that might come true. Good to know that Wayne Rooney listens to the podcast though, because even though Lee Gregory didn't go where I suggested, Rooney obviously heard it and was like, yes, that is the player that we need. So Wayne, you know, just, I mean, I'll give you my number another time. Just DM me, just drop him my DMs. The one that might be slightly under the radar that I'm going to mention first is Sam Field, who signed for QPR on loan from West Bromwich Albion. He's been at West Brom since he was just a a twinkle in his mum and dad's eye. And he's now a player that needs to leave West Brom in order to fulfil his potential, in order just to, to play football matches. 22 years old, Field. But a lot of people will know the name because three years ago, He was playing Premier League football. He played just over 500 minutes, which is a pretty significant amount of time for for a player who I think was 18 at at the time. And West Brom picked up some good results while he was playing as well. He was playing for England under-20s and thriving at England youth level as well and looked like someone with a huge future and someone that I've had my eye on since then because I've definitely got a bit of a thing for tall technical, versatile defensive midfield players. The, the sort of player like Christian Bielik we've spoken about who can fill in in a back three if necessary but can also hold in front of the midfield but are good enough to impact the game in the middle and final thirds as well. And that's what I think Field is or Field can be. He, he's got a good range of passing, always looks to get on the ball but as well as that technical ability, he's comfortable defending. He's considered a defensive midfield player. And so he should add a lot to, to this QPR midfield. He, he possibly doesn't use his size and physicality enough. That's something that, that you'd want to see develop if he wants to thrive in the senior game. But I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that Field can and will be an excellent player, not just at this level, but could easily, easily reach the Premier League again uh, in a year or two's time. I think his stuttered start, the lack of game time at West Brom over the last two or three years is, is more down to the club's yo-yoing than anything necessarily he has done wrong or or any issues with his development. So QPR, a good place for him to land, I think. It's a loan, but he immediately said, hopefully it can become permanent in his his opening interview. So it's clear that he's now ready to move on. I think he could be a really valuable player for them and and a good player for us to watch and talk about each week. So Sam Field was one that that caught my eye, albeit probably in terms of headlines went a little bit under the radar. Uh, What was your favourite that you saw on Monday? I'm not going to say favourite because that would that would be harsh to to Morecambe fans. But I, I think the transfer of Adam Phillips, the loan transfer from Burnley to Accrington, is probably the most interesting in League One and League Two because 
both of what he's capable of doing in League One, but also the heartbreak for Morecambe fans. I mean, I saw Phillips described on Twitter as the League Two Bruno Fernandes, which I really liked. <laughs> and, he, and he has been that, that kind of player for Morecambe over the last, you know, he, he joined the club this time last year on loan, spent the second half of the season at Morecambe, then rejoined in the summer on a year-long loan, which has now been cut short so he can make the move up to Accrington, which seems like a pretty shrewd move from Burnley, even though you know he's proven himself to be easily good enough at League Two level. I'm almost surprised that Accrington have been able to get him. I think he possibly could have been suited to a bottom half championship loan, possibly. And the impact this is going to have on Morecambe is absolutely massive. You look at his record there, 14 goals and 10 assists in 14 games. So 24 goal involvements in 44 games. You look at the start they've made to this season. They've been so impressive and they, you know, he's been taken from a side who beyond their wildest dreams have the opportunity to challenge for a place in League One next season. His relationship with Carlos Mendes Gomez has been well publicised by yourself and has been crucial to the way that they play. This is proper heartbreak. Um, I tweeted on, um, on deadline day evening asking fans of their clubs how they would rate their transfer window out of 10. And Matt Siege, who's a, a Morecambe fan, replied saying minus 400. And that, <laughs> that, and that is purely because of Phillips being taken away. And I think it's almost more, you know, what is worse than having a player who isn't yours? You, you get no compensation. You get no fee to be reinvested. It's one day he's there and one day he's gone and you've got to watch him playing for another side just, just 50 minutes up the road. For Accrington, it's incredibly exciting. I mean, they're already a side who are able to create so many opportunities. I'm not entirely sure where he fits in their system and it's interesting to note that that Dion Charles and Colby Bishop played as well as they did in a front two just as Adam Phillips walks through the door because you'd think he'd be more suited to playing behind one of those players but maybe he will be used in a more withdrawn midfield role in a 4-4-2 which could be very exciting indeed he's just a lovely player and a player who I'm sure is gonna is gonna excite Accrington fans and I mentioned that Morecambe have had their player you know their talisman to lead them on this uh, this unexpected promotion journey well Accrington are on their own unexpected promotion challenge and they've now got another feather in their cap to uh, to continue so Adam Phillips yeah heartbreak for Morecambe but very very exciting indeed for Stanley yeah I think one of the standout deals has to be Marcus Madison joining Bolton on loan from Charlton he's not been at Charlton very long it's clear that ultimately the fit there um, both in a footballing sense and, and maybe a personality sense as well with the manager Lee Bowyer did not work if I were a Bolton fan and as you do, having a quick search on YouTube for highlights of your new player, I mean, I would be equal parts excited and baffled because, I mean, no one basically in the whole EFL has a better highlights reel than Marcus Madison. The sheer volume of his goals and assists over the last five or six years, but the quality of them as well, mean that you know, he is the sort of player that you want playing for your club. Uh, I would also be a bit baffled as to how we've how we've got him really like you know he was such a key man for Peterborough that the inevitable links were were made with the championship for the for, for a span of about 2 or 3 years and it probably leads to the other side of Madison which isn't quite so exciting i mean dara mccantony the posh chairman has has commented on this transfer even though peterborough are not involved at all no surprise there he said he needs to concentrate on his football and ignore all the other crap and and there have always been strong suggestions that madison isn't the model professional. And I think partly that could be harsh. 
for five years or so, he, he barely missed a game. He was rarely injured for Peterborough. He played around 40 games a season for four or five years on the trot. 128 goal contributions, that's goals and assists combined, in 212 games over a five-year stretch. Had him as the standout individual in that sense in League One for that period. The problem was, and this is where Madison can be a bit of a head-scratcher, Posh never fulfilled their own potential as a team while Madison was their key attacking player. And therefore, the question is, is this a bit of a maverick, a bit of a luxury player who might, you know, rack up the numbers himself? But when you look at the team's performances and the team's results, is that actually the best way to become a winning football team? Posher obviously have thrived without him, to be honest, since he since he stopped featuring for them in, in January of 2020. So... I think I think it comes down to the fact the excitement of having a player of this quality playing in League Two, taking you know swerving, dipping long shots against League Two goalkeepers who who cop a lot of flack at times, and the big question is can Ian Everett bring the best out of him, find the system that gets the best out of him, do the right man management job to get him motivated, and if so, will that be for the betterment of the side? I mean, Bolton are nineteenth at the moment in League Two, which is eye-catchingly bad but they are only nine points off the playoffs so from their fans perspective they will think to themselves this guy could be the man that propels us towards the playoffs towards an assault on the playoffs I don't know what we can realistically expect from him straight away he's arriving off the back of an ankle injury there's only 20 21 games to go anyway but I think we can all agree that there are going to be some serious highlights to come from Madison at Bolton and 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 just for sheer you know sheer shock when you saw the deal confirmed, that's what it's all about on deadline day, isn't it? And that was very much the case here. George, what else for you? What did you like? Interesting, interesting goings on at Ipswich. A, a side who need a bit of hope, need an injection of some quality. And their fans will be hoping that that will come firstly through Luke Matheson, who joins on loan from Wolves, but crucially from Troy Parrott. Now, Troy Parrott is an interesting case where we all know who he is. And the reason why we know who he is is because a lot of Spurs fans have been saying for the last two years that he should have been given a chance at times where Harry Kane was unable to play. Tottenham famously seemingly only having one striker in their ranks over the last couple of years. And this has led to some, not notoriety, but but maybe an expectation level that is above his head. I'm pretty sure a lot of those people claiming that Troy Parrott should be given a chance have probably never seen Troy Parrott play football before. And it is always the case that, for whatever reason, fans of clubs seem to want their youth team products to... Well, they elevate their ability sometimes more than is actually fair. And he went out on loan to Millwall and the reaction from most quarters was, wow, he's going to score so many goals in the championship. He's way too good for that level. That wasn't the case. Uh, he really struggled. He he was had injury issues up until around November time. He then came into the sides fleetingly, never really playing through the middle, which is where he wanted to play, often playing on the left-hand sides. Uh, he didn't score a goal. And it wasn't a massive surprise. And Millwall fans weren't too disappointed when the news came through that, he's, that his loan spell was being cut short. He's now being sent to Ipswich and reports in the press suggest the reason why it's Ipswich is because they, Spurs, have been assured that he will play through the middle. He will play as a number nine. And you know what this means for certain members of the, Ipswich, of the Ipswich squad who normally play up front, we'll have to wait and see. But Ipswich aren't a side who create plenty of chances, even though they've got loads of, of quality in midfield, the likes of Emma Hughes and Flynn Downs, they still seem to, under Paul Lambert, really struggle to 
consistently create chances and the points they do pick up tend to be pretty scrappy low scoring affairs one nil wins here and there and the Ipswich fans aren't too happy about it now I often think that one of the biggest misunderstandings in football is the, the way to correct a side who are stale going forward is to bring in a striker. It's incredibly unfair to expect strikers to score goals when the football is stale. They they do not create chances for themselves. And the best example of this in recent times was when Sunderland went out and spent £3 million or whatever it was on Will Grigg on January deadline day two years ago to improve a side who couldn't create goal-scoring opportunities. It was no massive surprise to find that this guy who was basically a fox in the box couldn't get on the end of them. And I do fear for Parrot that this could be a repeat of that which could see his career you know in terms of the loans he's been sent on with Millwall not being a very good stylistic fit either really hurt we'll see what happens I'm sure that he probably has the technical abilities to be a very very good league one striker whether it's going to work at Ipswich we're not sure but they are a club and a side who need a hero who need a spark and maybe Parrot can provide that Right, transfer deadline day window chat closed, sadly, for uh, at least five to seven months now. That's quite enough of that. Time to get on with the rest of the season. So many fixtures still to go. Starting this weekend, starting on Friday night, in fact, and that's where we're heading next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Final stop on the Totally Football League Show Extra Time tour is, of course, our weekend preview with Paddy Power. And up first is the Championship. It is a titanic game at the top of the Championship on Friday night. Yeah, one of the biggest games of the season so far. Live on the box, under the lights in South Wales. Swansea against Norwich. I'm going to pick up the Swansea thread here. I think, you know, the the big news this week was deadline day and Swansea were more active than most uh, at the top of the championship in this regard. A, a classic case of of sort of dipping your toe into the pond, maybe an ankle, maybe half of a shin, actually, but not fully submerged. A lot of loan signings, which are very understandable for a team who don't want to commit a lot of money long term on transfers that we know as we've discussed on this show, uh, can be a bit risky and are unlikely to be long-term contributors to this club. But I think the additions that they did make uh, show that they're pretty serious about 
promotion. Connor Harahan was the most eye-catching straight into the team. He's already scored two goals since he signed about a week ago. But also Morris and Ariola, Kieran Freeman, uh, Whitaker as well. They did bring in numbers and they will boost the bench. They will make Swansea's depth even more impressive. But it's the first team that's doing the business at the moment. They're in fantastic form, aren't they? Themselves, Norwich and Brentford have started to pull away slightly over the last five, ten games or so. Swansea, of course, have an incredible defensive record, the most clean sheets in the league, and they've only failed to score five times, which can only be bettered by Brentford. And that reflects what this is, a very complete team. They have been on a bit of a hot streak in terms of finishing recently. They've actually taken the second fewest shots in the league in the last 10 games, but have scored a lot of goals from those shots. And I think, you know, there's two aspects to that. Once they go ahead, they're so comfortable in their shape out of possession that they don't really push for a second goal. But also when the game is level, the quality that they have with Ayu and Lowe and Harahan, of course, as well, they don't need too many chances at the moment to, to score goals. So we've spoken before about how impressive Steve Cooper's pragmatism is. It's not a sexy trait in a young manager, but it is one that's helped his Swansea team get right up towards the top of the table. I fully believe that Cooper can set the the correct game plan to give them the best chance of getting a result against the league leaders. I don't think they will be naive here, George, and and I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can frustrate Norwich like some of uh, the Canaries' recent opponents. Yeah, Norwich are the favourites for this one, and they're six to four favourites with Paddy Power. The draw is twenty-one to ten. Swansea, the home side, fifteen to eight. And I kind of surprised myself when doing the research for this game. I'm a bit worried about Norwich at the moment. I think they are quite low-key struggling. The last two games they've drawn nil-nil to welcome back the marksman. You know, the probably the most feared striker in the championship in Timu Puki. Their nil-nil draw on Saturday wasn't helped at all by Emmy Brendier's red card, which I must say was very harsh. It looked like the, for the second yellow, Brendier was trying to pull out of the tackle, really. It was definitely a foul, but a second yellow not helped at all by that. But it must be said, in that game, they were fairly poor before the red card and Borough had the better chances after, unsurprisingly. The, the real red, red flag started to come up in midweek, where I'm going to go as far as saying they were lucky to get a point against Millwall. Millwall created by far the better chances. Zahor missed a really easy header at the back post. Very, very late on, there was a defensive mix-up and, and Jed Wallace had a chance to shoot into a, you know, a difficult opportunity with an open goal from 40 yards, which he put wide. If we include the Barnsley FA Cup game before um, the Borough game, that's three games in a row without a goal. And three games in a row where Norwich have been the worst side. If we, fought, if we rewind back a couple of weeks to when they lost to Watford in a pretty scrappy game it must be said as all Watford games are since then they've had a fairly run easy run of games QPR Barnsley Coventry Cardiff and Bristol City they've scored twice just twice in those games no kind of big dominant wins against some of the poorer teams in the division especially in the form they're in when they played them now I'm not here to say that I think Norwich are gonna throw this away I'm not here to say they're not the best team in the championship they probably they may well be but I think the the narrative and the around the promotion race in the championship, the idea that it's one of Swansea or or Brentford into the second slot is premature. I mean, this is an opportunity for Norwich to make it that. If they can win this game and put some distance between themselves, some, you know, some greater distance between themselves and second and third, that might be the case. 
But if I was one of the chasing pack, I would see enough in Norwich's recent performances just to offer a glimmer of hope. You know, at the moment, they're four points clear of Brentford, but Brentford have got a game in hand. They're five points clear of Swansea. If Swansea can get a win here, suddenly it's all very, very bunched at the top. And Norwich have to improve their performances because, as I say, struggling, you know, what you want to see, what we've seen from Brentford, especially in recent times, and from Swansea, to be fair, is really putting the poorer teams in the division away, something Norwich have struggled to do. But they certainly have the personnel, as we've spoken about many, many times, to do it. In League One, it's the cliched relegation six-pointer, I think you have to say. Two teams on desperately poor form. Wigan hosting AFC Wimbledon. Paddy Power finding it pretty hard to choose between them. 13-8 to Wigan and 29-20 to AFC Wimbledon with the draw 23-10. to and, and George, Wigan, on the one hand, they're off the pack of some pretty heavy defeats. Yeah, they are. Um, these games for Wigan are, are massive, not just for them, but for the whole League One relegation fight because they've just been beaten in midweek by Swindon, which moves Swindon up into 19th and out of the relegation zone. They've got this game against AFC Wimbledon, who currently sit in 22nd. And then after this, they're playing against Northampton, who currently sit in 21st. So three bites of the cherry here for for Wigan to try and get points off oppositions in and around them, but also three opportunities for other threatened sides to take on one of the most out-of-form teams in the division. I mean, they've lost back-to-back games. They were thumped by Blackpool on the weekend, uh, 5-0. But it's the loss to Swindon and the manner of it on, uh, on Tuesday night that really will disappoint Liam Richardson because they were poor throughout. Swindon were the better side, but then... About 25 minutes to go, Dion Conroy was sent off for what was a bizarre last man sending off where he was kind of dribbling with the ball, was tackled and then clipped the man just outside of the area. The red card looked harsh on first viewing, but on second look, it was probably fair. But it was the way that Wigan were unable to really threaten Swindon after that. They had 25 minutes against one of the worst defences in the whole of the Football League and they didn't create many opportunities. And, And when you look at Wigan's first team, it's almost quite surprising that they aren't better. I mean, we know there are obviously terrible issues uh, off off the pitch in terms of, of, of looking to find a new buyer. We know that there are lots of players playing who are youth team players who probably shouldn't be playing first team football at the moment. But at the same time, you've got, um, you've got Callum Lang playing up front with Will Keane just behind and Zach Clough off the right-hand side. A centre-back pairing of Curtis Tilt and Scott Wooten, the very highly rated Tom Pearce at left-back. I mean, that, that is the fundamentals here for a half-decent side. They have had a, a, a difficult January. They lost Tom James, they lost Joe Garner, they lost Carl Naismith as well. And Carl Joseph, who's been you know the shining light going forward for them this season and their top goal scorer with five, looks to be injured for the next at least few weeks. So difficult times for Wigan. I, I still retain some hope that on certain days with those players, it could click and it could provide them with enough impetus to nearly get out of it. But they're going to have to take some points from these two games against Wimbledon or Cobblers. But they come here against Wimbledon's side and maybe quite a good time to play them as they search for a new manager. From a Wimbledon perspective, this is a significant weekend. It's their first league game without Glyn Hodges in charge this season. Hodges having been sacked uh, last weekend after a run of nine defeats and two draws in 11 games has seen them plummet into the relegation zone in League One. The current favourite, as we record, is Danny Cowley. Not a strong favourite, so I I wouldn't say it looks nailed on, but what an appointment that would be if they could get him in. But I would like to see what interim manager Mark Robinson 
can do because he certainly isn't one of these apologetic interim managers that you get sometime that, that say they just want to you know hold down the fort for a few weeks get someone else in and I don't want the job full-time I'm, I'm quite happy being a, a first team coach thank you very much absolutely not Mark Robinson has come in hot with some thoughts on the standards of the squad after the midweek game in the EFL trophy no disrespect before Glyn brought me closer to the first team and you might think this isn't relevant to football but it is but you know, we used to go out in tracksuits and the players used to throw them on the floor. And we got Rocket, who's, you know, loves and breathes this club, going around like a peasant, picking up tracksuits. And these are the sort of things that have got to change at this football club because, you know, it doesn't happen at the best. That sort of thing doesn't happen at the best. You're a family, you're together, you fight for each other, you sit in the dressing room. It doesn't have to be noisy because you look left and right and you know that you've got characters who are going to perform. You gave the captain's armband to Luke O'Neill. What was your, your thinking on that? Because... Uh, I don't like centre-forwards being captain. Um, I don't think Joe is that kind of captain. He, he's, he leads in other ways. He's a big personality and everyone likes him. But I, I like noise to come from behind the ball and I just want Joe to concentrate on his game. Now, I don't know about you, George, but that is the sort of manager that I'd like to hear more of. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the post-match reaction, whatever happens in this game. What I would say from a Wimbledon perspective is they only lost four of their first 14 league games this season. I don't see any reason why this group of players couldn't get back to performing at that sort of level under the right leadership, whether it's Mark Robinson, whether it's Danny Cowley, whoever does get appointed. Of course, if they do get back to anything similar to that level, they will achieve safety, I think. But I would suggest that this for Wigan is not a great time to play Wimbledon. They would have probably preferred to face them a week ago. Listening to Mark Robinson there, I mean, I'm feeling pretty motivated and I've got no ties to the club. So just imagine just imagine um, how intensely those players will run onto the DW pitch on the weekend. Let's just hope Joe Piggott isn't too gutted to lose the armband. Um, really interesting this game and an important one too in League One. And in League Two, an intriguing game between two of the league's most informed sides, George. One of them near the top of the league in Forest Green and one of them trying to get there in Mansfield. Now, let's not forget that Mansfield are currently on a run of five wins in a row in League Two, scoring 13 goals in that time. The reason I suggest you might have forgotten that is they've had three games called off in the last 10 days. Their momentum somewhat halted by one count of frozen pitch, two counts of waterlogged pitches. Not ideal at all. But this is an excellent side and I... I I might suggest that Nigel Clough wouldn't be too disappointed to, to have a bit of time for the players to rest their legs and work on some things on the training ground, which is time that other managers don't have at the moment when the games are so regular, not thick and fast. We're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> so regular. Um, uh, what's most notable about Mansfield under Clough? I think just a balance to the team. Each part of the side is working perfectly and in a way that's recognisable from other Nigel Clough teams that we've seen in the past. They are by no means gung-ho, but they create and score goals. They are certainly not defensive, but they are very, very adept at keeping the opposition at arm's length. So, you know, five wins in a row was the appetiser, certainly, but this is the start of the main course now. They've still got some way to go to reach the playoffs and beyond. And this game against Forest Green, a good chance for Mansfield to show us just how good they are against a team top of the table, Georgian. And as you said earlier, having beaten the league leaders impressively in midweek. 
Yeah, I mean, I've already spoken about Forest Green a fair bit on the pod, so I won't do too much more. But it's interesting to note, you know, their January wasn't ideal by any stretch. They lost Liam Kitching, the really promising young centre-back to Barnsley. They lost Carl Winchester to Sunderland, which was a, a signing that surprised most people. So I think going into January, they probably would have been disappointed to lose those two. They brought Bailey Cargill in from MK Dons. It looks like a shrewd signing and Josh Davison and Isaac Hutchinson, the other two who did come in as well. They have a lot of attacking qualities in their side. I mean, Ebu Adams still playing in League Two at centre midfield is a travesty, in my opinion. I'm sure he'll be hoping, or Forest Green will be hoping the next season he's in League One with them. Nicky Cadam is subject to some uh, interest on deadline day. The left-footed wide player, really creative with a cracking left foot, six assists and three goals. And I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying, I haven't seen the updated list, but Jamil Matt tops the XG rankings in League Two. So he may only have nine goals, but the player in the league who gets into the best opportunities so maybe we could expect some more goals from him to carry on this season it's a really difficult game this for Forest Green going to a Mansfield side who in their current guys are one of the best in the division and that is reflected in the prices as well Mansfield 5-4 to four, the draw 11-5 to five, and Forest Green 11-5 to five as well with Paddy Power it is a spicy one this weekend in League 2 that's all for the show this week then and thank you so much for joining us and for listening to this podcast Please do keep up with everything Totally by following at The Totally Show on Twitter. We'll be back next Thursday, but in the meantime, you can listen to Matt and the gang on Monday for a roundup of everything we've just previewed and so much more as well. But for now, from George and myself, goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series from Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. The Athletic.